might have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness. Just like Israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke, we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow him. And like Israel, we get it wrong a lot, we get lost a lot, but we're doing our best to, to go where God leads us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Don't you know it's all I have? But even on hey everybody, welcome to Following the Fire, uh, episode 40. This is our Faith After Doubt book club episode. And before we get started with everything, I wanted to give you guys a couple announcements. Um, first of all, we're going to be off for a couple weeks due to the holidays. I almost said Christmas, but I don't want to be controversial. Um, wait, it's holidays is a controversial one, right? I don't it's, know. All, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. Well... <laughs> There are going to be some times where people are doing some things and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be elsewhere doing those things. Um, so don't expect a, an episode for a couple of weeks, but we'll be back in the new year. Uh, I want to encourage everybody to, in the meantime, uh, check out the Following the Fire Facebook group, a link in the show notes, of course. And uh, that continues to be a fantastic group to share your thoughts, ask questions. You can even do it anonymously if you want to. And uh, so it's it's been a really good conversation overall. And I haven't mentioned this in a long time, but you know, since last episode of the year, uh, we do have a Patreon if you want to join that. The the links again in the show notes. And I just want to jump in real quick uh, and say thank you to everyone for listening this year. It's been a roller coaster. It's a and I just put this together, but I like forty up ep- forty episodes in the year. It's real. Wandering in the wilderness kind of vibe, don't you think? Hey, look at that. We did that on oh, purpose dude. when we uh, recorded the first episode. <laughs> it's a uh, we planned out the entire arc of our our first right, year journey. Right. So um, we've really, really appreciated our listeners' uh, questions, comments, reviews, all of those things. So if you haven't yet, send us an email. Go to our website and and say contact us and. We, we love to hear from you, but just thanks for this year, and we're really honored to have have you along with us on this journey. Absolutely, yeah. I, I can't believe I didn't catch that, the, the 40. It's very, very biblical mean, wandering yeah. number. It's, that's perfect. days, years. Yeah. yeah, it's perfect. So I'm super excited today because my wife is going to be on the podcast with me. Hello, Christy. Hi. So Christy is going to, she, she read the book and wh- one of the reasons I wanted to bring her on is that uh, I know, I know she's a, she's very self-deprecating, but she has fantastic thoughts about this book when I, I read it and I'm like, you got to read this. And she read it and it's wonderful things to say. And I'm not, I'm not biased at all, uh-huh. but it, it, you know, it's always nice to ha- have different perspectives. And so Christy, can you, before we get started with the book stuff, tell us about yourself. Um, first I feel like you're hyping me up way too much, but, um, see what I say. I, (laughs) um, I'm Christy Martin. I grew up in a suburb of Oklahoma city called Dell city. I grew up in the church of Christ. My dad was a deacon. My mother taught Bible class. 
I um, I was the youngest Bible school teacher at VBS one year. I was 15, and I got to lead my own class with flannel graphs. I remember you guys talking right. about nice. flannel graphs recently. Yeah. I know, it's right? not a real VBS out of that, right? <laughs> and um, yeah, I I think I began kind of deconstructing things after I stopped, after I stepped down from a ministry leadership position. I, I was uh, a children's ministry leader for about 10 years. And about the last two or three, I was really, really done and starting to doubt some of the curriculum at that point. I think I was already kind mm. of like, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I knew that I needed to step down. I waited until somebody finally did take my place before I left. But I think within that realm, not only did I question what I was doing, but also how I was treated differently mm. as a woman in a leadership position. It was quite a minefield. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Did you... You run into the edges of what the law is, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I could I could go to the ministry leadership things, but not the deacon things, not the deacon meetings. So I didn't know any, like, so I would know some things, but not all things as a ministry leader. Um, and that was always an interesting, I was always in, in, in an interesting place. Yeah, but I was at the deacon meeting, so I could tell you the secrets. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got invited to a, a deacon's uh, retreat one time because of Steve. It was like a ministry leader deacon's retreat and none of the female ministry leaders were invited, but I just got to come because I was your wife. And right. I found that to be interesting. But they were talking about things that were very relevant to my ministry. It was like, they were talking about building expansion and how that would affect the children's ministry. And I thought, what would have happened if I hadn't just happened to be your wife? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, that, well yeah. I've known, so I've known Steve for most of my life. Christy, I think I'm guessing we met each other for the first time when you moved back from Germany, but I probably was in college or just an age where I didn't care about adults. <laughs> um, but, um, we have interacted a lot more in a small group together. Mm -hmm. And then you are really good at finding stragglers at, at church who may be able, like you may be able to ring out a volunteer out of them to teach a, a class. So um, I got, I got roped into several of those because you're so persuasive uh, in that way. Um, but a, you know, very genuine helper and, um, someone who does things gets gets things done. Uh, it's we she's know so each nice other. and sweet. People feel bad about saying no. Yeah, you can't say no. And I, I'll, uh, I'll let you know now because maybe it sounds like there's permission. But I always went rogue with the curriculum. I, I'd deal. open it up and be like, "The lesson is to obey your parents." So we're we're stepping outside of this one. We're gonna we're gonna go gospel <laughs> the lesson is always to obey your parents that yeah. is like 50 percent of the lessons yeah. i think yeah, <laughs> yeah. here's yep. the story where jesus obeyed his parents it's like no he did he literally did not obey his parents in that story okay whatever <laughs> yeah we should like play a game and see how many bible stories we can turn into obeying your parents 
I bet it's probably pretty oh, easy. Yes. Every it's every <laughs> one of them though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot. Yeah. Mm. Uh, or just like be nice. It's like um yeah. Anyways. We can maybe get into yeah. that later because that comes up in the book a little bit. So we all read Faith After Doubt. Uh, this is by Brian McLaren. And Steve, do you remember, did we both get, when we took What Kind of Christian Are You, was the answer Brian McLaren? It was, yeah. And I we had- were both Brian, Brian McLaren Christians. Right. <laughs> and w- what I remember from that was, I vaguely recall that person's name, and I, I don't know if I've ever heard anything, but this is a bad person and stay away from, you know, like- all, like I was like something like emerging emerging church and to, that it's bad. Like after you heard his name, before you heard his name. No, like I I, I had an association. Oh, I had never read any of his books, but I I just knew like I don't think he's a he's on the approved reading list for uh for my upbringing. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> and after reading this book, I would say yeah, nope, he is not on the approved reading list. Um, he's dangerous. He's, he's a dangerous guy. So Faith After Doubt, subtitle, Why Your Belief Stopped Working and What to Do About It. So Brian McLaren um, was a pastor. Of a, he was actually an English teacher or professor, but he started a church and then it grew and he just became the um, the lead pastor for that church. And But then he, he mostly became a writer after that and stepped down from that ministry after a little more than 20 years. I think uh, just a a great anecdote from just kind of sum up the book is that this minister, this pastor, Brian McLaren, he realized he was struggling with a doubt and he had a friend and a mentor that he would meet with and he called him up and they, they, they get coffee and he, he talks about his doubt to this friend of his and his friend stops him and basically says, wait, no, wait, you can't, you can't, you can't think that's wrong. You can't think that you need to stop. And he kind of gets rebuked and he walks away from the encounter with this weird feeling because he, he started with this friend that he had strong communion with and that he could go to with his problems and his joys and his challenges and his doubts. But he left uh, realizing that he had one more person that he was going to have to pretend around if he was going to maintain a relationship. And he uses examples like this in the book to talk about uh, how something can happen to one person can kind of be a, a model of what happens in, in the larger group. So this book, Faith After Doubt, really is written to one specific group, the doubters. And something great, uh, he gives a vocabulary and a framework to understand the journey that doubters have been on. And we'll, we'll dive into this a little bit. Uh, more in depth in a second, but he talks about these stages. Sometimes he calls them stage one, two, three, four, or their their one word uh, title, simplicity, is stage one. Moving to complexity, then perplexity. And it, as I've often shared, uh, there's a book that impacted me deeply with the book "With" by uh, Sky Jatani, and it had a depiction of postures toward God, over God, under God, from God, for God. 
And the reason that that book was so impactful to me was it gave me words to understand these longings and groanings in my soul that were happening that I just didn't know how to wrap my mind around yet because I didn't have the words. Faith after doubt does something very similar uh, for doubters in this book. He helps you see, recognize, and understand simplicity. Uh, He also calls it faith expressed through belief. And then he helps you understand how maybe as a doubter where you are was a natural progression from simplicity to complexity. And so you start to feel not so broken uh, that even in this weird stage that's that's characterized by doubt, that there can be a faith expressed through doubt. But even more meaningful, I think he, he offers a vision of a future where doubters move to a stage that maybe is less tumultuous because doubt is not peaceful and it is not fun. He calls this stage harmony, faith expressed through radical love. And at, at this moment where a lot of conversations can center on how to prevent deconstruction or how to fix it, McLaren is really welcoming this as a necessary and natural stage on a journey toward integration or fullness or wisdom or harmony or love, whatever you call it. Not, uh, it's not a, a bug, it's a feature, in other words. I especially love McLaren's ideas about raising children who m- kind of naturally have to start with simplicity, right? Uh, but raising a, a community, even if you start small with, with this harmony in mind, with this love in mind. And, uh, you know, kind of midway through this book, Brian issues a warning. Um, he says, the stage one and two gatekeepers, the, the people who run churches, are not going to give you permission to explore this territory. Not because they're evil, but just because internally they cannot deal with that contradiction. And so they cannot help but to fight what is happening uh, in any way possible, which by the way is, is, is a great thing to hear. But he says, once we realize we don't need their permission, he urges us to move forward with courage and creativity to faith. This book was eye-opening in that it gave me an entire new lens to see a world that really was difficult for me to see without this language. It kind of created a world that I was there, but I just didn't didn't have the language to see. It was terrifying in its boldness to ask questions that I've never allowed myself to ask. (laughs) And again, this book will not help your stage one and two friends. This is not a (laughs) transition kind of book. But for those of us holding to a faith that is full of or even defined by our doubt, this book is full of hope and full of questions worth exploring both just in its content, but literally in the discussion questions at the end of each chapter, which are extremely valuable. So that I was, again, I was made uncomfortable, but also comforted by this book. Um, and I can't wait to discuss it. So I want to yeah, hear, the, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I've got a lot to say about this book and we could probably make this like a multi podcast series, but we'll try to, yeah, you know, we we can't cover everything, obviously, but it was super challenging for me, and it was um, one one thing that I kept for some reason I was having a hard time just grasping all of the what these stages meant because he 
I don't, I don't remember. He doesn't really sit down and like explain them all straight through in, in one spot, really. He no, they get introduced you... kind of one by one slowly. Yeah, it kind of takes There's you on like, like a, a journey. diagram. Yeah. Yeah. So I found some uh, of interview that he did for a church in the UK, Brighton. And it's like about a five minute clip, but I wanted to play it for, for everybody because I, I remember when I've taught classes in the past, I've tried to sum up what somebody as an author has said. And I'm like, just let the author talk. <laughs> yeah. So it's a really good uh, summary of the first three stages. And, uh, and we can talk about why he probably doesn't really describe uh, stage four after we're done. So listen up for this clip. If you can talk us through those four stages yes. of faith that you call them would be super helpful. Sure. Well, um, I call stage, well, first I should say that, you know, I, we always have to acknowledge that stage models, stage theories can be abused. People can use them to, you know, minimize and dehumanize other people. And we certainly don't want to do that. Um, but I, I've studied uh, as many uh, different stage theories as I can get my hands on and um, tried to integrate them and learn from each of them. And so my four stage uh, uh, simple process starts with simplicity. And that's where all of us start. All of us, when we're children, we're new to this world and we depend on authority figures tell us what to believe. Um, so you might call simplicity is faith before doubt. It's when we're being told what to believe, our initial run at things. Mm. And, um, and when we're in simplicity, we see the world in dualism. Us, them, in, out, safe, dangerous, friend, enemy, orthodoxy, heresy, mm. uh, heaven, hell. We just love binary options because it's simple and it's, we're just getting acquainted with the world. And a lot of people stay in simplicity their whole lives, especially religious people, because I think a lot of religious communities act as if simplicity is the only stage of life mm. and to not be in simplicity, they call it backsliding when often it's really growing. Yeah. Um, and, and probably a lot of the people who call you saying they're losing their faith, what they really mean is I'm losing my stage one faith where everything is just binary and, and, uh, and where authority figures have the right to tell us what to think. And we aren't allowed to ask questions or, or think for ourselves. Many people outgrow that, they doubt that, and they enter into stage two that I call complexity. And this is the stage where we begin to ask our own questions. Now, we already have a starting point. It's the simplicity that we were given. Mm. And so very often complexity means modifying. Uh, if, if simplicity gave us a, a kind of contract in complexity, we start writing addenda to the contract and fine print to the contract. And uh, you might call uh, stage two is faith negotiating doubt uh, or faith managing doubt, um, trying to get back to secure to, to certainty, but realizing certainty is a little more complicated than we thought. Sure. Um, many people stay there their whole lives. I personally think that the mega church is kind of the classic stage two uh, kind of faith because you know, very often it's, it's about how to succeed. It, instead of being about dualism, it's about pragmatism. Sure. Um, and, uh, how to, and, and it's about how to do life on my own, how to have a good marriage, how to, you know, all the things we have to do as adults. Mm -hmm. um, so stage two, very important. Many people stay there their whole lives and they feel so relieved when they find a stage two kind of Christian faith because it's a whole lot more space than stage one used mm -hmm. to give them. 
Um, but then what happens is very often, my, as my friend Richard Rohr says, great pain or great love enter our lives and very often they go together. Or I might add a great education or a lot of travel. And, and we reach this new stage of doubt where we're not just trying to fix the simplicity that we inherited, but we're starting to see real problems with it, often ethical problems as well as intellectual. And things just don't make sense. And now we are on the verge of throwing it all out. We, we, we don't think it's fixable anymore. anymore. And, and maybe many of the people who contact you saying they've lost their faith, what they're saying is, I've been trying to fix it and I don't think it's fixable in the, in the form that I, I'm trying to fix. Mm. And, and a whole lot of people have been told that's the only form there is. And so some people just leave Christianity at that point. Or, by the way, Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and atheists even go through this mm. kind of process, I think. Um, but stage three is a very dynamic process. And, and in many ways, it's who I wrote this book for uh, most because they have so few places where they're safe to say how deeply their doubts go, how deep their doubts go. And many people think that's all there is. And they stay in that state because it's the best they've been able to find. But I think something happens when we begin to, in a sense, become even skeptical of our skepticism and uh, cynical of our cynicism. And we start to say, how am I going to live? Can I live with uncertainty? Can I live with unknowing? How am I going to do it? And it seems to me that opens us up to the fourth stage that I call harmony, that I think is a very deep kind of faith, but it's a very different kind of faith than we start with. Yeah, so that, I thought that did a good job of kind of summing things up really well. And this book is just so dense. <laughs> There's just so much to it. But before I start blathering on about it, uh, Chrissy, why don't you let it, like what hit you about the book or the stages or um, like, if you had to tell somebody about it in the elevator, what, what would you, where would you start? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think that, I mean, it would help to explain it to people. I mean, the, the explanation of the four stages are very helpful, but I feel like there's a quote, there's a quote by Brian uh, McLaren. Faith was about love all along. We just didn't realize it, and it took doubt to help us see it. Mm. And I think that is such a profound statement. Like, I want to make this my mantra for the year, because doubt seems so scary and so dangerous when you're in stage one and stage two even. You're starting to kind of doubt in stage two, but it's still so scary. And I think that if you realize that it's okay to doubt and it's okay to question, I think doubt and questioning go really hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And I think once you realize that that's, once you come to terms with it and make some peace with that, you can go through this. And I think many people are going through this, whether they've made peace with it or not. And go, going through it alone, maybe without either, they don't they don't have permission for it, but they, it really feels like um, like they're broken, like there's something wrong with them. Yeah, 
I mean, haven't we all? I've totally felt that way over the last few years. I feel like there are so many times when I was shut down by different people by asking questions. And, and you know what? I've done the same thing to others as well. I've, I've shut other people down too for asking questions in the past. And this makes me really not want to shut people out. Yeah, one of our listeners was uh, messaging me on Facebook and she said that she remembers when she was young, she was asking a question of one of the elders at her church, asking several questions because she was curious. And the elder stopped her and said, lots of questions leads to loss of faith. It's like a little little phrase he just threw out there like he says it all the time. Kind of has it kind of rhymes, you know? And I thought, oh the fact of not being allowed to question things is is really, really dangerous. And he and Brian McLaren mentions that I think in this book as well, it's like being this the certainty that we can have is so dangerous because if you're certain, like we were certain for hundreds of years that we were supposed to and allowed to and God-given right to own slaves, to own people with a different color, color skin. And we were certain we used, people used the Bible. You know, the Southern Baptist Convention was started as a response to people saying slavery was bad, and they, so they started it and used all these Bible verses to say how it's, it's, it's okay. And one thing I like about this what he says in this book is it, it's it's kind of he he's giving everybody permission to doubt. And one of the things that hit me is that he said that uh, only doubt can save the world. Because without doubt, you don't learn, you don't expand, and that that really hit me pretty pretty hard. Did uh, I kind of want to know if just getting this framework, reading this book, did it change? kind of your perspective looking backwards on the last year or two? That's a good question. I don't know if it changes my perspective, but it gives meaning. Like you said, it gave some vocabulary and some understanding to what I'm going through, but it also gave me much more hope because I am solidly in three and it's can be a very hopeless place. Yeah. How about you? Did you feel that way? I I did for sure. So I I it really did reframe things for me a little bit because him especially the discussion of stage 1 and 2 because as he said many religions or churches or whatever you want to word you want to put in there many groups stay at stage 1 and they act like that's the only place to be that there's a definite black and white there's a right and a wrong for everything, uh, right in the wrong way to sing, to sit in church, to interpret verses in the Bible, etc. And going through the the rethinking of faith that I've gone through, I have been really frustrated, with, especially with my family and a lot of the folks, that, friends at church that we used to go to church with. That it's like, what are you not? Are you not even paying attention <laughs> to what's going on? Like the there's nuance to everything, and you're just you just Everything's black and white to you. I'm like, oh, okay, this is why. And they're in stage one, like, and that's it's like authoritarianism. You know, we've got to stay united against the 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 world 
it's us in the world, black and white. And there's this, this joy of being right about stuff. And I remember being in that stage for most of my life. Being right about things is really important. And the reason that it helped me to see my family differently and actually kind of be a little less upset with them is to just to understand where they are. And I should throw in here that he mentions in the book that this is not a, like, you're better the further, like, when you get to stage four than you were when you were stage two or whatever. This is just the progress of how people tend to go and that people tend to stop at any place and you can bounce back and forth between them. And I mentioned last in last week's episode, Nathan, about how the guy was in stage three or four and then he popped back to stage one for, for reasons for, for like for his daughter who was sick. And so this is not a, like here are the steps to be a, a better person. It's just, here's the, like the process that it can be observed. And yeah, and each stage is you go from stage one to stage two when you start doubting things. Like is is just believing the right thing enough? I'm not sure. Well, let me try to do more stuff. Is just doing stuff okay? Well, I don't know. Let me really evaluate this stuff. And then you move to stage three, et cetera. But yeah, yeah it did help me uh, have a different perspective. At the last part of the book, he says, there's no shame, pride, or regret and being at the stage of development in which you find yourself. Yeah. There's anything to if there's anything to regret, I suppose it's refusing to grow when life invites you to do so or rushing through your current stage without learning all that it has to teach you. He gave me permission to be patient with myself. Mm. Yeah, I I love the the state it's it's hard to not I mean, I look down on people who are in simplicity already. I didn't need a framework for that. <laughs> uh, and so so the warnings are really necessary. And he does uh, over and over in the, in the audio clip we just heard, McLaren says, this is not meant to dehumanize people. And he, he warns against that in the, in the book. All, it still feels nice to be in a progressed state. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but... Um, well, I, I don't want to go back to stage one for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, but the, he, I think he truly actually does believe because that can come across kind of two ways. One is like, I'm not here to judge. I'm just further yeah. along than you. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> that can, you know yeah. how that, that can kind of come across. True. But I think that he actually does mean truly that one stage is not better than another, but I think he has a warning and when he says doubt will save the world or, you know, this is going to save the, the church, right? What he means is that a church that doesn't know about this, that doesn't think through what a, what a matured faith looks like after Sunday school is a church that's doomed either to boil out all the perplexity so that only simplicity remains or whatever it is. And I think the such a great highlight of this because it's not about deconstruction or anything like that. It's, it's, it kind of goes to that, uh, the elder saying questions lead to loss of faith. Yeah. Um, it's the seminary problem. Mm. You send, you send your, the most passionate kids that pass youth group with an A plus either go to, (laughs) 
you know, get recruited by a youth minister to a because they went to a camp to a Christian college. Yep. Uh, or they go to a seminary or to a like work study kind of missional, right? They graduate to this thing. What happens to them is they they get taught to be missional or they really do get taught how to be responsible readers of the Bible and how to faithfully look at the history of the church and understand that all these things. And that's just the worst possible training you can get to go back to a church and lead a bunch of people who just want to be comforted that they're correct on everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's got to be a really hard place to be. But it's our, but because we're not thinking about it, we meaning like churches because we're not thinking about that progression, but, but kind of maybe wishing people would just stay in simplicity where it's clear you're in or out. You just have joy and you, you have faith, right? The kind of faith that um, is expressed through belief, right? And why do we have to even get into that? But it's because it's a natural stage for the people who are the most passionate about it. But we're not equipping them to be ready for what's going to happen when you first read the story of Noah and then read it 20 years later and, and have bigger, bigger, harder questions. Right, about genocide of the entire planet. Yeah. Exactly. You know, that makes me think about, so chapter 10 was my very favorite. I told Steve, chapter 10 was like, if you don't want to read the whole book, go read chapter 10. He talks a lot about gatekeeping. Again, he kind of brings that back up again. But he talks about Alan Watts, a 20th century philosopher of Eastern religions. And I, I have to read this because I am not smart enough to sum it up. I don't think, um, he said, we must here make a clear distinction between belief and faith because in general practice, belief has come to mean a state of mind, which is almost the opposite of faith. Mm. Belief is the insistence that the truth is what one would leaf or wish it to be of the believer. The believer will open his mind to the truth on the condition that it fits in with his preconceived ideas and wishes. And he goes on to say, faith, on the other hand, is an unreserved opening of the mind to truth, whatever it may turn out to be. Faith has no preconceptions. It's a plunge into the unknown. Belief clings, but faith lets go. Mm -hmm. And I really examined what that means. And, and he then brings in the gatekeepers and the belief and the fact that you have to believe certain things when you're in, especially in one. If you're in one and you, you have to believe this, 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 and this in order to belong, in order to be part of the club, you can't question. There are certain things you can't question. And I just... I think that that distinction really helped me understand. And he's right. Like I started thinking, okay, let me try to pick this apart. Maybe, maybe it's not completely accurate, but I think it's right. I think he's, he's right on. Yeah. And that's kind of a theme throughout the whole book is this redefining of faith and beliefs because 
especially when you're in, in in stage one, like we've said multiple times already, it's like the, the it's all about belief. Do I believe this thing? Yes or no? And which are the right things to believe? And even when we were talking about the stages and how it it's, it doesn't matter which one you're in, it's okay. It like stage one wants to say which which is the right stage to be in. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. And stage two people will would be like, "What's the fastest way I can get to stage three? <laughs> and but what I love about stage four is this: he calls it the joy of being at peace, he, or and he also call it, refers to it as the second simplicity. Because yeah. when you're in this second simplicity, it it's like this weird dichotomy, I guess is the right word, how it's almost the most complex way to think of the world, but it's also the, so simple because yeah. it's all about faith expressing itself in love. He talks about how Paul Paul mentions that, about how nothing matters but faith expressing itself in love. And people will be like, well, what about, you know, the right kind of baptism? He's like, all that matters is faith expressing itself in love. And he's like, he keeps repeating that in one of the one of the chapters. And how faith expressing itself in belief is stage one. And then expressing itself in activity is stage two. And expressing itself in doubt is stage three. When you get to love, it's like, it's like each stage is kind of more and more open than the previous stage. Which I think is where a lot of people are going to be really uncomfortable with this book. Because Definitely. it gets more and more open. And he starts talking about like Buddhist thought and Turtle Island indigenous peoples. And I recently learned that Turtle Island means North America, basically. I didn't know that. Um, I didn't know. I, did, I just was like, I'm never yeah. going to know what that means. Apparently a lot of <laughs> indigenous people refer to all of North America as Turtle Island. Anyway, wow, uh, that's a whole I did not know hole. that. Okay. Yeah, but um, so... But it gets broader and broader. And so when you get to stage four, it's like you're okay with people being in stage one because that's where they need to be right now. Right. Yeah. Whatever it may be. And where I'm I'm still frustrated with my friends and family being in stage one. And I'm trying not to say stuck in stage one, <laughs> even though that's how it feels. Yeah. But so that tells me that I'm not quite I'm not quite in stage four yet because I'm still wishing that they would change and be different. Yeah. And this ability yeah. to just focus on truly loving people where they are, for who they are, and not trying to fix everything. That's a place I want to get to. Yeah. And and it, it's, it's hard being in this in stage three where I'm completely questioning the validity of everything I've ever believed mm-hmm. without much to hold on to. Well, and he talks about how we can move in and out of the stages. And I don't know if I've gone back to one, but I will say I definitely feel like sometimes I move in and out of three and four because I'm becoming more okay with people where they are, but I'm not always there. So I, I feel like I'm I'm definitely not in stage four yet, <laughs> yeah. but I, 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 it's hard to not want to be there. I'm trying very hard to be okay with where I am. And, you know, this book really gave me permission to do that, to be okay with wherever I am. Yeah, I'm definitely not in stage four. Um, (laughs) Not even close. And one of my thoughts for the intro is going to be, this is the book your mom was worried about. 
And I mean your mom, <laughs> like the so true. Just not Steve's mom, but also specifically Steve's mom, probably. Like this is the slippery slope that we were worried. You're going to ask the question. You're going to open up. Next thing, you're okay with everything. We're all singing kumbaya, and the world is redeemed by Christ. Wait, okay, that's a, that maybe is the gospel, but. But it, it really does. I was sweating reading through this, like my stage one, you know, inner self was like, is this, I agreed so much with the first half of the book. Is he tricking me into being a, whatever, you know, hippie? Um, <laughs> but, and so I, I struggled with that question for a while. Like, is this the nat- the logical natural stage? Is it, you, ha- you, you let go, you, you drift you question you doubt and then you end up in what stage one would have said was the worst possible place this wishy-washy you know happy kind of place and as i looked back through the book and the the kinds of conversations he was having about things like this happens in other faiths too that this journey of simplicity to complexity to harmony or acknowledging kind of the um deficits of of our tradition and the, the things that are good and being thankful for the tradition you came up with and raising your kids in that tradition and, and, and that people group and that kind of thing, but allowing other people to do that as, as well. What I realized is he was answering my biggest deconstruction question. The, the biggest catalyst that I've ever had actually was I'm a Christian because I was born to Christian parents in North America. Mm-hmm. And if I had been born in you know, throw a dart, I would have been, I would have tried really hard to do what that culture says is the right thing to do. And there is not uh, the permission to really continue asking that question in, you know, a stage one simplicity kind of place. And what I realized was, oh, I don't like that he's even discussing this, but I've never even, like, I have no satisfying answer to that question i've just become comfortable with saying you don't ask that question Mm. so you know as the going back to stage one simplicity me do i it's easy to throw darts over the fence and say this is the you know you're just losing your moral compass you know some things are black and white that's that's easy to say but i i think that i have to acknowledge well, you're you're talking to people that I'm afraid to talk to, and you're, you know, I I don't actually have have an answer for that. It doesn't go that deep down. Like my certainty hits a hits a wall that I know that I put there. It's not a, it doesn't go all the way to bedrock. Hmm. Yeah, and, it's really interesting. And he, but he, you know, we know we as stage one simplicity Christians and stage two complexity Christians, we know about the teaching about progressing from milk to meat but i think we're really bad at doing it and Mm -hmm. seeing that like that actually means sometimes chewing on the stuff that maybe isn't as black and white or maybe is more complex and i think that's what wisdom and godly wisdom entails it's it's about priorities and he you know like you said when when paul was doing this what paul is questioning or even giving people permission to question were foundational laws given to God to the Jewish people that are in there. They're in, in the Bible. 
And the people who were the gatekeepers were the most religious people, not the bad people. They were mm-hmm. the people who were doing what their religious community said to do the best. They were the best at it. Not because they're evil Pharisees, but because they're very good at it. They're the Church of Christ of of Israel. <laughs> and uh, I love this. Uh, he This just opened my eyes. He, he talked about there's like eight principles that people use just to justify any moral position. Do you, do you remember what they are? I'm, I'll open up my book to find it. If, so it, this was so interesting to me because it, it describes exactly what I've been struggling with. I just didn't, again, I didn't know how to say it. Okay, what are they? Uh, he's quoting someone else. So he says, uh, Jonathan Haidt uh, says that everybody uses six basic uh, moral reasons to defend beliefs or opinions. Oh, so they yeah, are I remember this. justice, compassion, purity, loyalty, authority, and liberty. And so you're appealing to one of those things and saying, this is what's a moral stance I have. Um, opening uh, Christmas presents on Christmas Eve is impure. You have to maintain the purity of the holiday as, as well as a little bit of loyalty to my family complex, right? Um, so it works with any, with any belief, but what happened, what Jesus did was he said, a couple of these are more important than the other ones. And so the easy thing to happen though, and what, what the religious people in Jesus time said is you are forsaking the law and the, and the prophets. You're throwing away all this good stuff. And as a, as a, person in doubt one of the things i've been struggling with is i think i think god said some things really are more important and it it wasn't about sin management it was about having the priorities of of god and they're like really laid out but to do that you have to let go of some of the other moral reasons and so it makes you look immoral to people who are holding strongly onto those yeah those gatekeepers who are all about the beliefs are going to go back to the foundational beliefs every time. And, you know, he talks a little bit about, he talks about a window and kind of a um, an example of how to look at this. He says, you know, this is a fascinating thought. He says, the faith is looking through a clear window, but belief and the gatekeeping is a painted over window. With You know, it's painted blue, and it looks like a sky. Um, and he says that doubt is the window cleaner. Huh. Scraping off the paint. And, yeah, scraping off the paint. And I'm like, I, I keep, I'm, I'm trying, this is another thing I'm going to just keep continuing to remember throughout this year. I think I'm going to keep thinking about everything as windows and, and, and looking Add it as it's okay to doubt because I'm just cleaning off the window. Mm. Like it's okay to scrape it away. But I have to say, as a family who celebrates Christmas on Christmas Eve. <laughs> <you know. laughs> oh, no. I wasn't going to tell him, Christy. Oh. As a family my, of backsliders. My, my family is a heretic. So we're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they, do, they do everything on Christmas Eve. Uh, I can't do. believe the family I married into. I know my grandmother used to make oyster stew every year for Christmas. 
Not a fan of oyster stew, just to clarify. (laughs) When it comes to oyster stew, I'm definitely in uh, simplicity. It is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when you have canned oysters. I mean, maybe that's the problem. Yeah, I was wondering, is this an Oklahoma oyster? Yep, yep. It's been on the the counter of buy for less for who knows how long. (laughs) I don't like Colorado and or Oklahoma seafood. I'm I'm stage three doubt about all that stuff. (laughs) Going back to the, the, the the concept of broadening and being more open throughout these stages. One of the things he says in chapter 10, once again, a fantastic chapter. Um, he says, maybe it doesn't matter if you were a Christian or a Buddhist, but maybe it's what kind of Christian or Buddhist you are. The right kind, but the correct beliefs. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and American. Nathan, you can be an American <laughs> Buddhist. <laughs> well, Nathan, we're trying to move fast this, buddy. Buddhist for Trump. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Well, Uh, I think we're, I mean, I I don't, I hope we don't surprise too many of your listeners with like shocking, you know, things. I hope they're not like all gasping right now talking uh, about about Buddhists and how it, it, yeah. Well, and I love the other quote that I wrote down from that chapter. Sometimes... It's only through doubting a religion that expresses itself through belief that we can find a faith that expresses itself in revolutionary love. That is what I mean by faith after doubt. To some, that sounds like heresy. To some, that sounds like liberation. And the further I get into these phases and the further I'm, the, the more I move through stage three, where I'm really questioning this stuff, the more I see how that makes sense and how the, and the more that feels like liberation. I've talked before about how you know, Jesus said his burden is light and I never believed it, but now I'm starting to see it. And I think that's partly why, because if you were just, if your faith is only about what is right and wrong, I, th- I feel like there's a lot missing. There's a lot not, that, like you said, Nathan, it builds walls. And when you have all these walls, it's hard to love people the way I feel like Christ wants us to love people. And the hard, the hard thing that I'm still trying to wrap my mind around, I'm not sure what to do about it, because um, like my my phase one, uh, stage one person is screaming in the back of my mind. It's like if a Christian and a Buddhist are do it, both doing exactly what Christ wants them to do. Uh, is there a difference? <laughs> um, it's all faith expressing itself in love. Well, there's this radical, there, there's this radical, uh, I want to say first century, kind of like, I don't know, moral leader who said something like, there's two sons. If one of them says, I will do what you say and then doesn't, or one of them says, I will not do what you say, and then does, which one is the is in the right? Yeah. Sounds like a smart guy. I don't know. I think he sounds dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and it really is um, <laughs> the, the these the steps through the questioning, and then seeing an example of someone on the other side. It it really is terrifying, but there's nobody else talking about what's on the other side. You know, and and he says mm-hmm. this in the book. He's like, by the way, you don't have a lot of books on this, so I'll write. I wrote this one, but not very many people are guiding guiding people through this step towards any kind of a um, synthesis of what's going on because the alter- the alternative is nihilism that's where yeah. people you go if if nobody's it's just well you know i i guess i just need to disintegrate all this stuff until until nothing's left but where brian ends up or mclaren ends up is actually going back to his tradition and falling in love with it in a completely new way and it's and he has he has a list of passages where he talks about just completely opening his mind to what the trinity is what the resurrection is what redemption of the world is what our hope is um, what the gospel Mm -hmm. is um even what sin is and they're the kinds of conversations we've been having when when we approach the bible in this stage some of it has been pulling out the rug and some of it has been finding a hardwood floor beneath that rug. Yeah. And it's, I, I think uh, watching someone go through this and come out the other side, not kicked out of faith communities, but starting them not, you know, completely nihilistic and, and depressed, but, but really finding peace and then giving you the permission to open the Bible and 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 find these new things, or to open the door and talk to your neighbor who grew up with a completely different view, and find beauty there and and listen to those things without having to put defenses up, w- without feeling any kind of a threat. Yeah, you know this is gonna, of course, sound radical. But, you know, we're talking, we're, we just read a really radical book. Why not? Um, but I, I guess I have to wonder what it would look like. So I, I know there's at least one person in the following the fire discussion group who has come out the other side and is like, I just don't believe anymore. And what does that mean for their community how can they still ask their questions and i have to wonder what it would look like if we just look like love in action and quit worrying so much about the beliefs the gatekeeping and the beliefs that you have to have like what what could it look like if we just were a community who was questioning and who had permission to question and then who could then just love people and do good things. Like I, I don't, that's radical. I know. And I I don't know what that would look like, but I'd like, I'd like to imagine that that there could one day be a space. Kind of makes me think of when someone's going through trauma or difficult time or depression we often I see a lot of cartoons these days, like like the little teddy bear goes and sits next to the bunny rabbit and is like, I'll just sit here with you, you know, and like just be with you. And 
I wonder if that's what we, what maybe, maybe I'll use your style of questioning, Chrissy. Like, what would that look like if the people who are going through, like, I am now an atheist or I am whatever it is, instead of trying to suck them back in and pull them back in and make sure that they believe the right stuff, we just sit with them and say, you know, tell them, talk to me about that. And they may stay there. Um, I mean, you can't ch- you can't force other people to change, but you're more likely to have a connection with that person if you're closer to the stage four mentality of being open and just kind of let people be and let people approach God or the divine or whatever you want to call it, that approach God the way he, they... <laughs> want to find God or the the way they want to, the way they need to, maybe that's a better way to put it, the way they need to approach things like that. I don't know. Or the people who can't find God, but still want community and want to be around good and loving people who want to help our planet survive. Or, I mean, that, that's a big part of this book. I mean, I got to warn you guys. Yeah. He talks a lot about, you know, this... So if you still are in the faith and still believe in a God, then you probably understand that God gave us this earth and said, take care of it in the very first book of the Bible. But do you really mean it? I mean, and he talks, so he talks a lot about that. It's kind of a big, uh, maybe it's not a big deal, but he, he, he kind of keeps going back to it, it feels like. Yeah, and it, it's a big deal if it's never been part of any part of your understanding of what Mm -hmm. maybe a Christian faith looks like. And the questions you're asking, that's part of what the second half of the book is about. It's also asking that question, uh, is this necessary? Do churches, do Christian churches have to be places where the person who says, I don't believe any of this can't can't belong without being a, a project or that the the people who have kind of the most passion but then that leads to the, the most questioning or the or even critique hey wait a minute you know we've we've missed some things we've got some priorities wrong it's it seems right now like it's a natural it's a it's an institution designed to kick those people out you know? or shut them down yeah or, or shut or shut them down or yeah which is not what any of the churches want to be or, you know, their mission statement isn't like, you know, where we're, we all believe one thing or else it's like, Oh, let's, we're going to love our neighbor and that kind of thing. This, it's not an intended thing that, that happens, but we're watching it happen and we've experienced it. A lot of us. And one of my visions for this podcast has, has been to be a membrane between those two spaces instead of having to be afraid and build concrete and reinforce a position it's to well like what what if there's a door there so that instead of being kicked out or you know the people who disagree are you know out of the community it's a place where we can be curious about why what what do you disagree about or what happened to you or what has your experience been and the membrane allows freedom to move, but also just to, the, you know, the 
I think that we are, because those communities, there aren't very many of them, we miss so much of this gutty, complex, real um, stuff. That's what's happening at the, like the following the fire a discussion group is not people listening to our podcast and saying, I disagree with what Nathan said, you know, at minute three. It's just people sharing their stories and they're different and so, and some of them are very different, but I have a feeling they're sharing their stories because they wish they could have shared them wherever they are with their family or with their original faith community. And they like that. There need to be more spaces than just this kind of, this kind of space and a church definitely could be that. And, Probably a mosque too could be that, right? Yeah. But uh, it's not what what the big, it's not the pattern that we see the most or the, I don't know, the most vocally. Well, I mean, I think it, it just, it boils down to whether or not the people that are in charge are going to be gatekeepers or not, right? Isn't that kind of the, you know, I mean, because you follow the people who are in charge, right? So if if we can find some space where there's not the gatekeeping, then maybe we can. And, and I think, <laughs> I think the the temptation is, you know, to take those people who don't believe under their wings and and help them believe. You know, <laughs> um, I had to, entire to classes just, in college about that, how to fix people. You know? Oh yeah, we want to fix everyone except ourselves. <laughs> I I have a suspicion that there are stage four people. Most of them are ninety, in <laughs> tiny little churches <laughs> all over the country and all over the world. Yeah, probably. And they come in, and they smile, right? And sometimes they're smiling from joy, and sometimes they're like, oh, those silly stage one people. <laughs> They'll figure it out. Aren't they adorable? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they're they're on a thing. They're on a journey. And um, mm-hmm. they're not going to end up being the pastor of 10,000 people. Right. Yeah, that's they're true. Gonna, they're going to listen to three hurting people, and they're going to see people that other people don't see. So then they're just going to be able to help them. Right. That, and I mean, that's happening. And it, it reminds me of, uh, I can't remember if I said this. One of my favorite movies, maybe my favorite movie is Joe versus the volcano. Yeah. You mentioned it last time. That <laughs> was my weird. youth ministers, uh, growing ups, his favorite movie too. So really? was he weird? Yeah. Was he kind of, yeah. He has a cool guy um, though. A blast. He married a blast. Yeah. yeah. He's great. But there's this, this you know, doesn't make any sense. Nobody's seen this movie, so it's great to quote movies that nobody's seen. But <laughs> there's this quote in it where the two characters are talking to each other and one says, um, talking about, hey, my dad gave me some advice. And she says, my father says that almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, mm-hmm. everybody you talk to. Mm-hmm. He says that only a few people are awake and they live in a state of constant and total amazement. <laughs> mm. and the whole the whole movie is a is a story of someone going through this horrible stage 
and then finding something valuable after realizing what's really important, right? But so there's the people that it happens to. And I think I truly believe that this, uh, I think this happens through the spirit. I think there are people who are uh, loving their neighbor and loving God and who are being transformed and who end up there just because they're open to it and their faith is a letting go and has always been a letting go or continuously learning to to let uh, go more and more. But you can maybe teach it to teach it also. And we, t- we talked about children's curriculum a little bit at the beginning and I'll just say it again real quick, but I can't stand that we teach Old Testament stories to children <laughs> and then only, you know, New Testament to adults, right? We all know the um, the times when we've said, why are we in the Old Testament? That It's the New Testament that matters. And that we boil down, and I just cannot stand this, we boil down the Bible into a moralistic example book. How to be good. And good can mean obeying or that Jesus is the answer or to that's about it the yeah. i mean there gatekeeper rules yeah yeah and 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 so i've i've always had a vision and i don't know the if this is possible so i might be one of those people you know who i'm not going to write let's just say i'm not going to write a parenting book until i see how things turn out <laughs> but um <laughs> Good luck I don't have that. the I don't have the choice with my son. He lives in two different households with two completely different beliefs. And so I can't mm-hmm. uh really stay in simplicity with him and say, well, this is the answer, right? Because the question yeah. starts with not all people believe this, do they? Yeah, no, they don't. Mom doesn't believe it, you know. Um no, she doesn't. Some people in different countries believe these different things. Yeah, they do, right? So I have to start in freaking stage four with a four-year-old. <laughs> oh, man. Right? Uh. So so the experiment um, is, and, and uh, McLaren talks about this briefly, children have to be brought up with simplicity. But can people who have made it to simplicity or even, or sorry, made it to harmony, or people who have the spirit and are, want to teach a faith that is a letting go kind of faith. Can you pass that along to your children? And he says, I, th- I think you can. I think you can guide kids through the rules, but tell them the reasons for the rules. The, the rules only make sense if they uh, are in service of love. I can't remember if I said that. Or yeah, you do this because it's loving your neighbor. Or here's this great story about this thing that happened Describing this God that's so big that we can't even understand him or describe him or know all the things about him. That's how big he is. And so we have these ways and other people have these ways. And those people are trying to do the same thing as we are. And just because they, they think there's four of them or they think there's none of them or they think it's a man or a woman doesn't make them worse than us or bad or evil. Because we're, we're trying to get to the same place as them. And they're our neighbors. And so the the quote that maybe maybe best of the book that I'm paraphrasing to make it even better than it was in the book. <laughs> he, uh, he says, love isn't like calculus. Love is like music. 
And that's mm-hmm. not what he said. But paraphrasing, he says, love is like calculus and he ex- is not like calculus. You don't have to learn addition, then multiplication, and then pre-calc before you can learn how to love. Love is like music because you can play Mozart to a two-year-old. Yeah. They don't have to know the music theory to understand the power. They can even do it themselves in a in a two-year-old way. But it's something that grows and matures, and so you can start practicing it right away. But you shouldn't stop. You should when you're 35 and 65 and you listen to listen to Mozart or you play Mozart, you are going to be picking up on the on the complexity of it, even though it's this simple thing, but you can practice it right away, teach it right away. And you don't have to start with animals on <laughs> marching onto an archie, archie. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it, toward the end of the book, he says, the closer we are to deconstructing our faith completely, the closer we got to seeing others similarities than differences. And I think connection, love, like these are things that we can all agree on. Um, My family knows that I am like relentlessly discussing this course that I took called um, Crucial Conversations at Work because it's just been so good for me to take. But one of the tools that they give you is to especially if you're spinning your wheels in a conversation, you are just butting heads. You're not getting anywhere. They have you stop, do a timeout and find some common ground, something that you can both agree on that you can look toward. And I think love is something we can all agree on. Yeah. Well, you'd think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the, yeah, the struggle is, is, is meeting people in the middle when they're in one, stage one, quite frankly, yeah. right? Because I, I don't know how to do that. Well, it's interesting thinking back to, looking back through my life at this, how I approached the Bible in different stages. Like the, uh, like when you say just love people, just love and be open and love. The verse is going to keep getting thrown back in your face by people in stage one is, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And that, that's like, well, then you have to do everything. You know, completely ignoring the fact that Jesus only commands, really, which you love God and love other people. <laughs> um, but then that gets you know, expanded to anything Paul happened to say is Jesus's command, which is a whole another can of worms. But yeah, it, it's, it's both... To me, looking forward, looking in, looking at this, this his descriptions of stage four, because we kind of hinted at this several times in the already in this podcast. But like the first half of the book is like stage one, two, and three description, and stage and like the second entire half of the book is here's what stage four might look like, or here's what stage four could be, and could we all be this way, and like in our churches or our mosques or whatever. And there's a beauty in that. I, I just can't. Yeah. I mean, if I try to step back and there's an objective beauty in the fact that in that, if everyone was in stage four, 
there would be acceptance and love and peace and, you know, cats harmony. and dogs living together, that kind of stuff. <laughs> harmony. And that's why it's called harmony because it's, it's just beautiful and, and comfortable and, and lovely. But there's also a lot of fear in that. I'm, I'm, I still have some fear in that, which is once, once again why cats I'm and dogs living together. Yeah, you, right. you, you said it there. <laughs> and and then the fear is what is is what I'm I'm trying to work through. Yeah. Because I you know I was built my faith was built on fear in a lot of ways, and I'm trying to sure. shed that fear in favor of looking at what peace God has set before us and what we can have now. Yeah. Man. I, he never said any of this was easy no. and it it's not, I, I think. So he talks at one point about, um, one of the questions and the, you know, he has questions at the end of each chapter that are very thought provoking and I couldn't begin to go through all of them, but I did go through some and he talks a little bit about, um, let me see if I can find it. Okay. Um, in chapter six, he asks about a specific person that he mentions. He gives lots of examples throughout the book about people who are struggling with this and through this. He says, Walt, this person he discusses, described his post-church experience as a little bit lonely. And he goes on to describe it more further. But then he asks, how have you handled times of questioning and doubt? Has it been lonely for you? And I would, I mean... I'm going to take a stab and say, absolutely, for most people. I know it has been for me. I mean, there have been times when I've been very afraid to say the words out loud. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think you know, in order to get to the harmony, of course, you have to, to kind of battle and go through all of the other stages. You can't just skip over it, right? Mm -hmm. He makes that very clear. You have to go through the stages, but man, I'm struggling with that. You know, stage three is so like anchorless. You feel he at one point asks a question about a roadmap and I'm like, roadmap. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. It's the only stage where, where you don't think you're in the right stage. <laughs> man you don't like people are asking questions so on the discussion group and i'm like i don't know any of the answers these are great questions i'm having these too <laughs> so yeah because <and> <laughs> stage one you're like i'm in the perfect stage and this is the only stage that is real and stage two is like oh i'm so much better than that <laughs> then it's pretty bad for a while and then stage four you know again you're like you know nirvana um, he calls it he calls what we're going through or there's a tradition of calling this the dark night of the soul oh yeah um, which I my word for that is it's not the journey we deserve but it's the deconstruction we need <laughs> oh, <that's good. laughs> um, but it really is it's such a beautiful picture though if there was a place where not only are one and two allowed but three is allowed and four is in charge. You know, four is 
<laughs> the actual elders. See, before wouldn't be in charge. <laughs> Force making right. the rules, which are no rules. <laughs> yeah, the, like the the actual shepherds, the actual people right. who are their job is to pastor, like actually, yeah, are guiding th- people through. And I I think looking forward to that imaginary utopia, you can look back and see how it would work, and it it makes sense how you how you can start to accept people in, in stage one, because in stage three, the stage one people are, are causing us direct pain and embarrassment. A lot of it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, but yeah, what's silly is everyone in stage three, I think was a stage one person at some point. Sure. Most definitely, which means like, that's the easiest way to love someone else is to, love yourself 10 years ago like oh my goodness mm-hmm. what did i need then and maybe it was just to like clumsily hurt a few people on my way through out of stage one oh, and man. maybe stage four me wouldn't have jumped in with you know a, a better um child's curriculum maybe i would have been like you know what you're gonna be fine you'll you'll figure it out you're going to have some weird conversations, you know, in kindergarten with the people who are atheists, but that's fine. They'll be <laughs> fine too. And, and we're going to let you move on on your own pace. I'm just going to kind of smile. And then every once in a while, I'm just going to walk by and give you a tiny little hint of complexity or a tiny little hint of the peace that I have at that question. That's just eating you up that someone's, you know, asking it. And so you need space to do that. And in, Stage three, you don't have that space because you're you're either flinging arrows or they're f- being flung at you, or that's that's at least what it feels like. I can't remember if McLaren says this or if it, I wrote it in the margin and I I couldn't find it, but I used to think that the antidote, the thing that I really needed to show my son to for him to make it through and be okay, was going to be being genuine. So mm. really walking the walk and talking the talk. And I think that, and that's something I really value in my parents, by the way, that they were genuine. They did not change from Saturday to Sunday so that their, their modeled example was, was one that was genuine. But I, I wonder if I actually need to accent a little bit more um, the humility side of things so that the mm. actual inoculation for people to be a little bit less harmful in stage one is to preload them up with a little bit more humility. Don't worry. If you haven't seen it yet, it'll come. Wait till he's <laughs> yeah, No, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Lots of that. <laughs> I've got plenty of accidental humility. I'd... <laughs> just imagine a not just a person who is genuine and humble and just kind of is, is shepherding someone through, but imagine a a church that uh, is humble, humble about the what we have right and what we have wrong, and that some of the things we probably have swapped that we think we have right, you know? That one thing alone, hey, other people have said this, and my next statement isn't, and here's why they're wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or like, there have been some interpretations of the scripture this, but here's the right way. They're clearly missing this. Like, you don't need that. What, what if that was, here's how we see it. There are people who see it who are smart, who have 
who are genuine, who have looked at this in a different way. Here's one of them. And maybe it's not what I think it is too. Like just a little bit of that, I think, goes a long way to allowing those questions to not be the kind of thing that mean you get thrown out of the camp. I mean, yeah. What if, what would a church or what would a, I don't know if you should even call it a church, what a group look like who didn't have those gatekeepers, the beliefs set in place, which of course, that's what all churches are based on right now, right? Is beliefs. What would that look like? I don't know. It was messy in the first century. And so what the pictures that were shown of the early church are not, here's how I'd like to be perfect. What we see are people having to actively ungatekeep the gatekeepers. That's the story of, of the early church. It's, it's Peter saying like, well, I mean, we're not going to go this far. And Paul saying, stop it. <laughs> and it's, it's churches saying, thinking they're better than other churches or bragging about something or, and Paul saying, yeah, you, you're saying that they're like this and yet you do the very same things, you know, like stop setting yourself back up and it's an active ungatekeeping that somehow we turned into rules for what the right gate should be instead of the practice (laughs) of un you know turning those gates into like open the gates open the gates open the gates no we should just have the right gates closed no no so true you shouldn't have the court of the women and the court of the gentiles you should remove those well but you should have the the court of the straights and the, and the gays and the marrieds and the singles. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> I told Steve, I said, this book was so beautifully written. Like he is, he is poetic in his wording. And yeah. I feel so messy and muddy during this whole thing. Like none of it is beautiful for me, but somehow he made it, he made it seem very beautiful. And so I'm I'm excited to to see if it, it really can be beautiful. <laughs> well, and that's kind of one of the reasons um, that we chose the church that we recently joined, Christy and I. The that the leadership is very very close to, to stage four, if not right in there already. Yeah. I don't know where the people um, are, but the leadership yeah, definitely yeah. is. <laughs> and like on the website, they say the response to, so what do you believe is often quite awkward because belief is not the chief marker or binder of our, our life together. Uh, we, huh. And so they don't, they have all the apostles creed and all that stuff on the website, but they're very clear. that These are not tests of faith. Like you don't have to believe these things to go to church here and be a part of us. They're testimonies of faith. Like, if this speaks to you, cool. That works for you. They don't make it part of the the way to join. You don't have to prove that you believe it or say that you believe this, you know, certain He says, we're often clearer about what we do not believe than what we do believe. Creeds can be good to know about since they show what questions vexed our forebears and can can alert us to potential dead ends, but they're not tests of faith. And... I had coffee with one of the ministers uh, last week, I think. And he's probably the most stage four person I've ever talked to in my life. Oh, man. He's so He's extremely open. And it was so helpful because 
I came to him basically saying, and I didn't realize it, even though I'd read this book twice, right? I didn't realize (laughs) what I was essentially saying was, how did you get to stage four? (laughs) (laughs) Because I was basically asking him, you know, how, how do you live and how do you function as a minister when you are, because I, I feel like it, I'm, I'm in a lot of ways, I'm, on, I'm at a point right now where I don't feel like I have anything to grab onto. And I don't think yeah. like everything is so in flux in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and and he, he talked about how he grew up in a, a Methodist tradition and how um, that's kind of how, how he how he grew and how he for, was formed. And so there's a lot of special connection there. He's like, you know, I, I, he's not a Methodist. He goes, he's, you know, United Church of Christ minister, pastor, whatever. Um, but he says that he, to him, Christianity is a taproot. I really like that imagery. It's like Christ and the, the, the gospel are my, like the thing that I'm holding on to because it makes the most sense and it, it may, it, it works. It's like, it, it clearly works in the world. If you follow Christ, things are going to be better for you. And uh, it was just really interesting to 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 have that kind of a conversation because I've growing up in a, a very stage one world. I hadn't really talked to somebody who was really a stage four person before, and uh, it was it was really eye opening in a lot of ways, and and kind of helpful and like comforting. Like I don't have to like I don't have to deconstruct my faith to nothing. You know, Brian McLaren talks about in this book how it can actually make your faith stronger. People in stage four may have fewer solid beliefs, less black and white, but their faith is maybe deeper than it was before. And that seems completely counterintuitive to someone in stage one, for example. Yeah. But I'm starting to see that now because... I've mentioned to people in the past how I've, I've got, I feel like I've got more of a, a deeper relationship with God now than I did before. I think that's what that comes down to, is that by seeing the the breadth and the the majesty of what God can do in this world, wherever He is or wherever people are, really kind of blows my mind more than you know you make got to make sure to write, say the right thing when someone's baptized or like else they're going to go to hell, you know. I think where I am in that is very similar. I just don't know what to do next. It's like, what do I do? I'm, I, I feel slightly anchorless, you know, kind of floating a little. How do I stay in community and in connection? Because that is very important to me. Staying in community, connecting with people is, you know, it's huge and so important. And I think true connection, you know, not to bring in another book during book club, but, um, you know, Brene Brown talks a lot about connection and shame and somehow we stay in community, you know, people in stage one, if you look at stage one, you know, the community I think we grew up in was very stage one and, Somehow shame is, you know, Brene Brown says that shame 
is the antithesis of community. It, it, it just takes away connection. But yeah. somehow, somehow they've managed to have this loose connection, even though there's lots of shame involved. I feel like there was a lot of shame involved in my early upbringing. And I don't know how the community still stayed connected. I think they stayed connected when they weren't feeling shame, I guess. I don't know. But I, I, I'm curious to see what it's like to have this community that is not connected to shame and, and belief. What I mean, I just, I keep asking this question, but I really would love to see it. And I, even with our congregation that we're at now, I'm not sure. I mean, you still kind of have to have some belief in God to be there. I think maybe not, but I I don't know what, yeah, they wouldn't. Um, and thankfully, I don't think they would even run you off. But the question is, can we connect with others who have different conclusions that they've come to and be in community with them? And if so, how would that look? What would that look like? Like, I know I keep asking this question, but I really need to know this answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing about this book is that I think I came out with out of reading this book with more questions than I had answers <laughs> in a lot of ways. He and doesn't I think have, that's kind of he doesn't have all the answers for the community. No, and he doesn't claim to, and that's yeah. kind of the whole the, yeah. kind of the point of it. But uh, you know, to next uh, next year, we're going to. Uh, I've been talking with Brian McLaren and his publisher, um, and we're going to have him on the podcast next year when the sequel to this book comes out. Yay! And the the book with is all called, the answers. Right. <laughs> the answer is all called <laughs> sweet. Sweet. The book is called Do I Stay Christian? And Ooh. he said the first half of the book is no, you shouldn't. And reasons why. And the second half of the book is yes, here's reasons you should. <laughs> That's so like him. <laughs> yeah. So, um that should be in about in roughly May or so. I'm really looking forward to not only talking to him, but I'm looking forward to that book because reading a book like Faith After Doubt, um, in some ways that's a that's an oxymoron to people. Like, how can you have faith after you doubt everything you ever grew up with? But uh, when you after you read it, something like that, you you're left with lots of questions. And I want to know the answer, and apparently the answer is no and yes. So. Right. We shouldn't have him on. <laughs> yeah, that's our first question. Nathan's asking, "What the heck? Do you Give me an answer? Yes or no? <laughs> I've got yes a yes or no. or no question. Oh man, I, my question is, what's this going to look like, Brian? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation, you guys. I'm, I'm. Hope we didn't scare everybody off from <laughs> reading the book. You should absolutely read it. Skiing yeah. down the the slippery slope. Yeah, I I think it's it, it's a great way to wrap up just this year too because the the whole point has been this this focus on uncertainty. Yep. And the pain and the beauty of that. And and this book really does a great way of wrapping up what that is and why that happens and uh I'm looking forward to exploring some of those questions 
and just kind of continuing the wandering stage. Cause I, my feeling is that just cause I know stage four exists does not mean I'm going to make it there very soon. Right. Be pa- and be patient with yourself through the journey. Yeah. <sighs> That's hard. And I, I think that even if I, if I, one day I'm a 95 year old smiling in a, in a back of a, <laughs> you know, backwoods church of Christ, uh, eating, eating the potluck there or whatever it is, I'm going to constantly be encountering people who are on that journey, even if I do make it. So it's, I, I'm not done done with it, even if I do one day get there. As long as there's a green bean casserole, then, then it's okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you get to stage four just for a couple of seconds in that first bite. <laughs> Yeah, if it's a, uh, I've been to a lot of Church of Christ, and man, they they really can cook. So, <laughs> whew, good to hear. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts, Christy? Um, read the book; it's fantastic. Who should read the book? I think anyone who has ever had a doubt should read this book. I think it will give you questions. It's probably it will, most people. Yeah, it will make you think and hopefully give you some hope. Yep. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah. Thank you. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, I hardly ever get to see you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Since we both work at home. <laughs> you must be having a fight because they're in separate rooms. Not... <laughs> <laughs> oh boy well uh, I hope everybody has a merry holidays and a happy Christmas and everything else and uh, see you all next year see ya bye all these messages I thought you wanted to hear but it only takes a whisper Hey, thanks for listening to Following the Fire. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, which includes links to everything we mentioned as well as all the scriptures, head on over to followingthefire.com and just click on this episode. There's also contact information on the website. Let us know what you think about the show and if you have any suggestions for future topics. Also, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you could. It really helps other folks find the show. And as always, thanks to the fabulous Daniel Wheat for the theme song and the music for the episode. You can find more of his stuff on Apple Music and Spotify. See you later.